Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Creative Podcast. I'm Ashton, your host, and it's really good to have you. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast, leave a review. It helps like-minded, creative, soul-searching, growing kind of people to find it with ease. And that means a lot to me. Thanks for doing that. And if there's an episode, maybe this episode, that you really enjoyed and you know somebody would just love it, share it out. Let them, let them know. Well, today we're going to be talking to a creative person who is a teacher. And spoiler alert, it's my wife. She's someone who will actually joke back with me in a lovingly mean way, which I think you'll find genuinely entertaining. She's also a creative thinker, an artist, uh, someone who sees people beyond their behavior and loves them well, helps them to feel known and connected. And so there's lots of good stuff in this podcast. I didn't want to spoil it in the intro, but here is Taylor Edwards. They keep me young. Yeah, that's true. If they like you, if they if they're like you're old, they <laughs> just point me. at it all the time. <laughs> I think the fact that I don't have kids makes makes me seem yeah. young, and the way that I look too. So like, I'm gonna be the young teacher forever. I feel like maybe that's what it. Feels like. <laughs> they might just take it away from you one day, and you'll be the old lady. People walk into the room all the time, and I just I see them come in the room. Uh, but they have to like the other adults, like they have to scan the room. Mm-hmm. And I see them like scanning two or three times before I raise my <laughs> hand and say, like, I'm over here. And they're like, oh, I didn't even see you. You blend in. Like, I've heard that so, so much. And your initial and reaction I just is embrace like, it. you just start barking at them like, rawr, rawr, rawr. Uh, yeah, like a mad dog. Like, I'm a teacher. Yep. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> I feel like thing, like this is what my brain does <laughs> when I think of scenarios that I don't know how I fit into it. You bark. It just, I, I, I bark. No, <laughs> no I go to that. cartoon mode. Where I'm like, what would happen in Ed, Ed, and Eddie? What would happen in Courage the Cowardly Dog? Just like. The- no wonder my mom wouldn't let me watch those shows when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. We've seen when it does to you. You just bark when you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, that's weird. So that has nothing to do with creativity, but it just is. Yeah. So, well, let's. Let's uh let's jump in and talk about some of the ways that education has changed and some of the things that you really like love about it because you weren't always going to be an educator and the more you've jumped into it you've kind of been surprised by some things or even maybe pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah, there was no way. Like I remember my mom saying when I was younger like, "Oh, you'd make a good teacher or a counselor." And I was like, "There's no money in that. I don't want to do that." <laughs> Um, I want to get paid, mom. Yeah. The, and I wanted to move away. That was like my big thing. I was like, I want to get out of here. And she would always remind me of like how expensive like out of state school was. And yeah, she's not stuff wrong. Stuff like that. <clears throat> she loves me. So, um, yeah, I was going to, first it was like photography and then it was, you know, advertising. And I was really big in business classes when I was in high school. So it was like business and marketing and a place where I could do some of that creative stuff. Um, and then God got a hold of me and ended up at Ozark and then I was going to do counseling. And then like two days into like my third year at Ozark, I dropped everything. And it was like, I heard from God and was, he was like, do this. And I was like, okay. And I like the second day into (laughs) classes at Southern, I was like, Hey, can I get into your class? Like calling all the professors with, (laughs) you know, my advisor and yeah. And kind of took off from there. But like everybody I was in the program with, they were like, oh, I wanted to be a teacher forever. Or like, 
I used to play like school whenever I was younger and uh-huh. I was like, that was not me <laughs> like at yeah. all. So it was kind of a wild ride. And I didn't know at first there was kind of this sadness where I was like, this is not what I had planned. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be any good at this. I don't really feel like this is my skill set, especially because at the time I was not a good, like, I didn't speak well. I didn't yeah. speak loud enough. You were soft-spoken. Super soft-spoken, super reserved, very yeah. shy, wasn't outgoing. I wouldn't introduce myself. Um, that's how I was through a lot of school. I think generally that's probably true, but like everybody that's like that always shines in certain scenarios. Yeah. I think you just learned how to shine more often. Well, I think I think that was kind of um, an, ef- like, an effect of going through the program was like I was stretched so much. Yeah getting up in front of people and being observed and, you know, people grading me on how well I would teach something or speak up or mm-hmm. my presentation. And, um, I had to really think on the fly a lot, which I thought was way out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And, but now I'm like pretty comfortable in that yeah. situation. So it's always surprising to me. It's like when I've seen you for the few times I've seen you in front of your class, like talking to them or like, corralling them or reading books to them or something it's like a different version of you than what i've seen otherwise and it's just surprising i think it's a, it's sort of that uh it's like mom when you're a kid she's like scolding you and someone calls and she's like oh hi how's it going it's like the nice voice the drive through voice and but it's sort of like that like in your classroom you talk with such like more way more volume and a lot more authority but it's still like really nice and it's just like when I see you, you're just like in full casual mode. Yeah. You're like full hangout, full chill. You're never like in that, hey, everybody, now we're going to do this and everybody line up. And I'm like, whoa, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching, I feel like really helped me develop all of the skills that I was missing. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and, and some. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been it's been good for me. For so. Sure. What dance moves have you learned since being a teacher? All the ones I don't want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Only the ones that are embarrassing. (laughs) Um, Such as? I wouldn't classify them as dance moves. (laughs) I mean, they're moving, but it's not really like, there's not classification for what they're doing. Yeah. Unless you count Fortnite, which that's like two years old. So also, if any teachers are listening, Fortnite is so two years ago. Yeah. We got to keep with the times, y'all. Yeah, it's it's long gone. If you think Fortnite's the it thing, then you might have kids who are behind or you're just you haven't been listening. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's I okay. Feel, yeah. And I feel like catch t- up. TikTok got a bad rap at first, but there's some yeah. good stuff and it helped being on TikTok actually helped me relate to my kids <laughs> the last half of the year. So Yeah. You were very reluctant to get on TikTok. And then I was. And then I was like, just do it. It's worth it. Well, you and John convinced me. <laughs> yeah. So. Party people. Yeah. I felt like I had FOMO. <laughs> yeah. All my friends are enjoying this. Yeah. I can't send these to you. I have to show them to you and then I forget. And the kids are like, are you on TikTok? What's your username? I said, it's private. You will not <laughs> Don't be come looking me. for me. <laughs> I don't post anything. Like, don't come find me. But here's my address. <laughs> and when I showed them, I made this funny video at the end of the year to show them like videos of them throughout the year that I had on my phone. I just compiled them into one big, long video and I yeah. showed it. And the first thing they said was like, put it on TikTok, put it on TikTok. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're like, you'll be famous. We'll be famous. You get monetized. Yeah. That's what they said. And I was like, I don't think you guys really know. Um, I was thinking about, 
um, some of the kids that you connect with, like you tend to connect with students who in previous years maybe got a bad rap or they had discipline issues or maybe they were just misunderstood or something like that. And after three years now of teaching fourth grade, like I feel like each year you've had a student who's kind of been like looked over or maybe got a weird reputation and you've been able to connect with them in a meaningful way. Where does that come from? How do you even like know who they are? Like how to connect to people who are different or is it like some kind of innate skill? Like share about that a little bit. Cause I think that's been really cool. And I think you, you probably have a lot to say about it. Yeah. So I'll preface and just say that I'm super blessed with the staff that I work with and the school that I'm at and even the foundation that's like laid by previous teachers. And so I have, I mean, I feel like it's a teacher thing. Like as you go through school, like you connect with teachers and then you don't connect with them and then you connect Mm -hmm. with them and you don't connect with them. So I feel like it, part of it's just kind of like the natural process and the chance, you know, the chances are 50, 50 probably, or whatever, just that you're going to connect with somebody super well. But I have had students in the past, like, I mean, teachers have not teachers, parents have connected with me and just made statements about like how, you know, this was their best year yet. And I really saw them blossom and you really helped them to, you know, understand like what they're good at. And you just saw a lot of confidence. Like, I've gotten more than one message about that in the last three years. And I think that that is relating back to that word that I chose for myself, intentional. Mm -hmm. I am super, like in my classroom, every teacher kind of has something that they want the kids to understand. And mine is that we're all different, but it's all great. Mm -hmm. And so every year at the beginning of the year, I read this book to kids called, um, Giraffes Can't Dance. I think it's by Giles Andre. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, basically it's about this giraffe who, you know, he can't, he can't dance very well. Um, And all of the animals like make fun of him. But then throughout the story, he like learns what kind of music he does dance well to. And then there's like this reconciliation that kind of happens. And I... I always love that, um, that idea and that story because so many kids, like, especially, you know, at that age, they're starting to understand like social dynamics and kind of cliques and Mm -hmm. you have like, you know, the, the popular boys and, you know, they play football and like, you just (laughs) have like all this stuff going on. And I think I just, I have always been really passionate about the people who have been overlooked. Um, and I absolutely hate when people ignore me or like I, somebody's not giving me like their full attention whenever we're communicating. And so I'm just really intentional in all areas of that. When I communicate with students, you know, I look at them and I want them to know at every moment that I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm there with them and I'm present with them. And when I see something good in them that I tell them that, because they might go forever and no one tells them what they're good at. And especially now that I've, I've lived long enough to kind of see, patterns and what people are into and what types of personalities gravitate towards certain interests and things. And I think it's like, like for instance, I had a student my first year who, um, he came from like a really big sports family, but he just wasn't that athletic. 
And I think he was kind of angsty because mm-hmm. he he didn't fit that mold and he couldn't really figure out what he was good at. And Cute kid, though. Cute kid. Loved him. <laughs> we connected really well. Yeah. Um, but I think it was because – and he just – he had this, like, sincerity about him. He's mm-hmm. He kind of had, like, a rough outer shell, but he was, like, actually kind of a teddy bear inside. Yeah. And I remember he said some of the most meaningful things to me, <clears throat> like, huh. my first year of teaching. And that really built me up um, as a teacher. I just kind of saw, like, this more – sweet like creative artsy side of him he was Mm -hmm. super creative and I and he you know was lacking reading motivation and I just I had a conversation with his mom I was like hey uh I think your kid would be like super into like music or something and so like anyway throughout all this conversation I made a pact we made a pact with him his mom and I uh that if he you know met his reading goals that quarter that she would buy him a drum set for Christmas and that was like a big deal Mm -hmm. and I think it was just important for somebody to see that other side of him yeah so well and it's like I think sometimes people look at kids and they go oh you know kids need this and kids need that and I think one thing that's really valuable to look at anytime you notice something about children to apply it to adults Mm -hmm. because we haven't stopped being humans yeah so it's like there's a lot of people who are overlooked, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your family, maybe in your friend group, who could and can't and are possibly really good at offering things to you as a, a community, but maybe they're just like stuck in a box. Maybe they think they're supposed to be something that they're really not. And I think that just that general attitude that you kind of come out with the students is like, no, everybody, everyone has different, you know, music they need to dance to. Yeah. And it but all that doesn't works mean together. that they need to live in that box. It just yeah. means they need to, they also need to be pointed in that direction sometimes when they forget that they're good at something or yeah. that they're, it reminds me of, like, I'm borrowing this from an interview that I watched with Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> um, but he, he's, if we have a fourth thing, you can be a super fan of, of two people. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone can guess them right now, then you probably had this conversation with her before. But Jesus. Tom is, and no. Ashton. Nope. <laughs> That's the, uh, if you guess that, you're wrong. It's uh, <laughs> Tom Hilston and David Spade. <laughs> okay, no, you know what? I think Bill Hader replaces oh, okay. David Spade. Yeah. I think Bill Hader's a lot safer. Yeah. I do love t- David Spade, though. Yeah, it's like. He's just funny. So you stole this from an interview <laughs> with, with Loki. Hiddleston, yes. <laughs> and it was a long interview. It was like an hour long, but I watched it. And he quoted one of my favorite um, it, I hadn't listened to the whole thing before, but it's a poem by Walt Whitman called Song of Myself. And he reminded me of the line in the the poem where it says, like, I am large, I contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. And that just, like, hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> like, it was like when I heard that line, the whole yeah. world opened up for me again. And that's really what I, that's my wish for, like, all my students or anybody that I have relationships with is, to understand that they contain multitudes and that, mm. you know, it's good. So most people are probably not as dense as I am. <laughs> when I first saw that you wrote that down on that chalkboard thing, I was like, why would anybody care about that quote? <laughs> so for anyone who maybe is having the reaction that I initially had, <laughs> tell me a little bit more about that. Like, what do you mean you contain multitudes? Cause I think I get it now, like six years after you wrote it on that chalkboard. <laughs> But like, describe it a little bit, like what that means, 
to you because I think there's a there's a little bit of this uh, this concept of something important here that you could probably give words to that sometimes quotes are just a little they're a little too concise and tattooable yeah so anyway kind of would you just share a little more about that for people who are have have uh bread brains like me that are just too dense yeah okay so in the poem um the it was actually three lines that stuck out to me and Again, it's Song of Myself by Walt Whitman. And he says, do I contradict myself? Very well. Then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. And it's kind of, you know, the few lines previous to that, he's just talking about like how I'm this, but I'm that, and I'm this, and I'm that. And I think it's like a a wrestling with your sense of self and trying to understand like, who am I? Mm -hmm. And you're tempted to put yourself in a box and be like, I'm this. Um... So the world gives us so many like labels and it's like, if you're good at art, then you're not really a scientist. If you're good at this, then you're not yeah. really supposed to be that. And right. you need to choose one and <clears throat> devote all your, all of you to that. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, it was like permission for, it was like a permission to rest mm-hmm. and to not try to nail yourself down to something, but like you could do you can be interested in all of it and you can do all of it and yeah. just be yourself. Yeah. I think it's difficult for people because you want to be a specialist. Everyone wants to be a specialist because specialists get high praise and specialists get to accomplish things that are meaningful, seem purposeful and some of that. But specialists also have hobbies on the side, Yeah, you know, and I think that's just hard to see because, you know, in our, I don't even want to blame social media. I think just in the world, even prior to social media, it was just easier to see parts of people. It's just easier to see what people sort of show. Yeah. And all of the time and all of the influence and stuff that goes into it, it's just, you know, it's tip of the iceberg. It's all we've ever seen. Now it's kind of like everyone is just so open about so much stuff, but the tip of the iceberg for some reason is even more dramatic because we just, have more awareness of all of what's underneath for ourselves. And we don't, it's almost like we just feel fully submerged. Like, well, I'm not even showing anything above water, but I think a lot of people just wrestle with, I don't know if it's insecurity or if it's just like, like they want like instant gratification or wanting results before the work has been, you know, put in or whatever. But either way, I think it's helpful for people to just, to just, be fine. It's, it's okay. You can rest. (laughs) You can, you can become a specialist. You can, you know, do all those other things. You can contain multitudes. You can be lots of different things. You can be lazy bum today and you can be the most productive human tomorrow. That's me. All or nothing. (laughs) All or nothing, baby. You do you boo. That's right. And I can attest that that's how you live your life. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Like I have found more balance as I've gotten older, but it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's fine. I get bursts of energy. Births? Yes, I said births. <laughs> I heard births. Bursts. <laughs> Multiple bursts. <laughs> yeah, you get you get like these just like super bursts of energy. But then I'm I could never do like exist the way you exist because I just have lots of like expendable energy all the time. That if I don't do it, then I'm just like sitting on the couch like moving my feet 
shaking around. Yeah. When I'm not moving, I'm still <laughs> using a lot of energy because I'm just thinking. Yeah. Different kinds of energy, too. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to ask you about this, but I think now I want to because I like where this has kind of wandered. Because basically, I think realizing that different people display different kinds of energy and use different types of energy is really important. Like my friend Jordan is a dreamer. He's a really sort of like ethereal creative kind of person. And a lot of people in college would get frustrated with him because he didn't seem like he had a plan, but he was actually tired or whatever from all of this energy that he would put in, but it would be mental energy. It would be dreaming energy. It would be planning. It would be this internal work that then would come out in these really cool, interesting ways, but you had to be patient enough if you were a, a checklist kind of person to actually get to see any of it. And I think that you're pretty similar in that. Not that you don't have both, I think, but well, for me anyway, just to realize that people had different types of energy. And if someone was exhausted just because they weren't running, doesn't mean that they weren't working. Yeah. So anyway, I see you it, sort of example that or Exemplify. Exemplify. See, it's great. Um, <clears throat> just the ability to kind of have a deeper internal world and maybe even do a lot of your work in there rather than do a lot of work outside. And that doesn't really mean introvert, extrovert. It's like something differently entirely. Yeah. So like, tell me about what is, I don't know. You just, you, you heard all that. Just say something. <laughs> I don't have a question. You heard all that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I, when I learned that, you could be physically exhausted from the amount of mental or emotional energy that you've put into something. That made so much sense to me. I'm like, yeah. ooh, I, cause I do, I get tired. Like when I sit and think, I'm actually, I feel more tired than if I were to go run. Yeah. Cause like that running energy, it kind of turns into like adrenaline or, well, you know, scientifically, you get endorphins from. Yeah, and then you, yeah. you want to come home and you want to, like, do the dishes and you want to, like, do all this. <laughs> and you don't get that whenever you're, you know, sitting and thinking and writing or I don't think like anybody wants to around. do the dishes. They just want the dishes to be done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. um, But you don't get that whenever you're, like, sitting and thinking or spinning around emotionally trying to figure out yeah. something. And so that exhaustion, mm -hmm. aside from, you know, like, I've struggled with depression and that's different. Um, but just normally on a normal day, it mm -hmm. can, it wears you down. And I think that realizing that was, uh, it made me feel less like a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, not an excuse, but it made sense. Well, and I think for people around you, especially like me being married to you, to understand your energy probably helps you to not be guilted or even feel feel guilty because I'm like I'm a physical effort person yeah that's been one of the hardest things for me in in our marriage was like not beating myself up for yeah. the amount of energy that I didn't have to get things done and to be productive as you did because you're like on a whole new level you're like the Usain Bolt of like household chores that's good and yeah because I display energy outwardly though but the <laughs> yeah. but like it, you've seen this because we've been together long enough if I have to plan or write something like even when we were engaged and I had to do online courses and stuff I was a I was like a just a 
piece of dead meat. <laughs> it was just worthless because so all of the mental and spiritual energy I had to put into everything. Yeah, that was like hard. just cooked me. Yeah. Like I was just I was sunburnt. It was a lot. <laughs> you know, it was a lot. So it, it I mean, it's shown up in other ways. Our society makes it really easy when you're not in school to not have to overload on learning. Yeah. So since I've been out of school, I feel like I've personally had better health, just mental health, <laughs> because yeah. it's that like I'm just not I'm not tooled in a way to do that all the time. Like I don't just I can't just read books all the time. But in the same yeah. way, you can't just go, 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 go like I do. No, no. And that's actually a really good thing. Because we understand each other. Well, I feel like a lot of that energy also kind of comes from kind of the same, I don't know, for lack of a better word, storage unit. So it's like, I've got this energy, this one body. Mm. And like, yeah, because if you like, I didn't have time to sit and think when I was in college, I had to read, Mm -hmm. read, read. I didn't have. That's why I had like a lot of people really wrestle with like who the heck they are when they get out of something <laughs> like that. You just like, yeah. you know, either, I, I think about it. I've done this multiple times. Like, you know, my high school boyfriend that I had, it's like you get out of that long-term relationship. Which wasn't me. It, it wasn't you, <laughs> no. But you get out of that long-term relationship and you're like, who the heck am I? Because I just spent all this emotional energy. I yeah. didn't have time to like go do other stuff or like I get out of college and I'm like, oh, I'm, I enjoy reading books. Yeah. I forgot. Like, I just don't have time. Or energy to put towards any of that. You kind of have to like choose your lane Yeah. sometimes. Well, it's really difficult. Or they force your hand to choose your lane. Right. Well, and when you're labeled by what you do, or I think it, this is something that it's not just young people, but young people suffer from it the most because they have had less seasons to figure it out. Um, you see more pe- more people in their 30s, I think, figuring this out is that their environment has shifted so many times that they've continued to ask the question, who am I? And so every time your friend group changes, every time you go to a new school or you move towns or you get a new job or whatever, you end up re-asking the question, who am I? Because you either defined who you were by your friends or what school you went to or what job you had. If all of that's just going to keep changing who you are, probably changes a little bit, but like there's got to be more consistency than that. Yeah, for you sure. You know, we can't just be fickly defined by what things we did. Yeah. My you know? boat was a lot less turbulent after I got out of high school because I actually knew God and I have a relationship with him and my identity wasn't so like hmm. set upon a lot of that. Yeah. As like in high school, when I got out of my relationship, I'm like, who the heck am I? I have no idea. I'm like yeah. this empty vessel of something and now sure. he's gone and I don't know who I am. So yeah, that. That definitely changes a lot too when you, yeah. your identity is in something constant. And uh, just to derail all of this, I want to give a special shout out to my neighbors with all of their noisy <laughs> engines, as I'm sure you've probably heard several times in this podcast and currently now. <laughs> yes. So if you're one of my neighbors listening to this podcast, thank you. I still like you as a neighbor, but you're loud. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, probably will never listen to this. <laughs> but if you do, I still like you. You're just loud. Yes. <laughs> or yep. your motors are loud. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I had another thought going back to to what you said um, about you know hearing what you said about what was it that you said? What I don't know. You had thing? another thought. <laughs> I did have another thought, but I was trying to relate it back to what you said. 
But anyway. Different um, types of energy, I think. Yeah, something, just or... like one thing that I also tell my students is that, you know, if you're not good at this thing, uh, just know that somebody else will be. And that's what makes the world go round. Yep. And that's okay. It's okay. Cheer them on in that and you do you do your thing. So yeah. it's not, it doesn't, you don't have to be perfect to everything, which a lot of people feel like innately yeah. from a very young age. Oh, yeah. So. Well, and if, you know, you could get into birth order things and all kinds of other stuff that I think go into some of those things. Like I think a lot of firstborns feel this pressure to sort of be a Swiss army knife, but also be a specialty tool at everything to be the best at everything. It's like, well, that's not really how you get the best at anything is to be good at everything. But, you know, I think there's a lot of things like that where people just who knows where the pressures come from, but they, they're definitely there for everybody, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. I think, I think you see that in, in your students and coworkers and people, and you just kind of see like, where people are valuable, which is really good. Like I think certainly compared to me, you're an optimist. Um, (laughs) but like seeing the, seeing the best in people or assuming the best and, and let them prove you that they make bad decisions is like certain is like the way you see the world. It's like, I think everyone has the potential to be good until proven otherwise. Yeah. That's where I'm a little more cynical. Even when they prove it otherwise, I'm like, (laughs) no, but there's something in there. There's something in there. This is redeemable. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, burn it all down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've recently said multiple times, like, I mean, new life's got to come from the ashes at some point. So if you just hold on to dead stuff, then you just have a bunch of dead stuff. It's got to. It has to be returned to the soil for a new life to be born, you know? Yeah. I'm not, that's not, I'm not causing an insurrection or anything, it's but it's not, it's not that I, that principle is not untrue, but yeah. yeah. I mean, you see it in nature all the time. It's a cyclical process, but outside of that, it's like, I think there are a lot of things where, you know, you like I, one of my friends just moved um, and he was telling me he was a little bit worried about, you know, not finding someone that's as fun to work with as he and I had like a good friendship when we were working together. And I was like, dude, I get the like temptation to feel that way, but you're going to find really great people and you're going to have new relationships. You didn't even know were possible. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, great advice. High five, whatever. He's still going to figure that out whether I told him that or not, because people are just great. And if you put yourself in proximity to other people, like you'll connect with someone. Yeah who you'll end up having a really great relationship with. Yeah, that reminds me. I don't know why she said it, but I remember reading something that Sarah Wood wrote years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was just, she was making the point that your goodbye is someone else's hello. And it's not something to be like mourned. Right. I mean, you can, but there's a a good part of that too. Right. Yeah, again, it's just, there's a process to it all. Every season has a purpose. You know, I don't say that to be like, oh my gosh, let's go write poems and every season's amazing. But like, seriously, every season's maybe even too fancy of a word. Like everything that happens means something <laughs> like everything that happens. That doesn't necessarily intended, but it all will have results. It will all mean some part of something. You'll arrive somewhere because you did something, you know, and it's like culmination of things that you do will create something. So I know that's like really obvious, duh, basic concept, but at the same time, my mind is blown. (laughs) She's mocking me. 
Oh my god! I'm just kidding. <laughs> like he's just talking. He's hearing his voice and he sounds so smart in his own head. But cause and effect. That chicken. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. I can handle it. I'll just cry later. <laughs> I'll be here to console you. I mean. In our own home. <laughs> you know I don't really cry, even though I'd want to. Uh, yeah. My tear ducts are broken. <laughs> You said something about nature earlier, and I was like, mm, I bet there's something in that, too. If that's something I feel like I could talk about all day, every day. Like how aspen trees are pretty neat? Yeah, well, <laughs> like when... It's referencing that video. Remember that? Yeah, that's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> um, In nature, that reminds me of something about... Creative design, just like innately weaved throughout the world. I feel like that was one of the things that actually drew me into Christianity was like my creative being mm -hmm. in the first place, but then also seeing that in the world and all of it making sense. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense. It's it's like uh, Dylan Beck and I talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, just that like science and religion aren't separate. Like people, for some reason partisanship has for some like just parsed out of the full puzzle like everyone gets a piece of the puzzle and no one's ever happy because everyone has a piece of the puzzle which is such a shame it's because it's yeah really really amazing but for religious people to be like science is evil it's like well stop because it literally is why you think anything and then for scientific more atheistic people to say religion is bad they're missing out on a lot of the moral code and the community things that religion bring. If you're just going to look at it all for, as like a asset to the world, you know, you can get into obviously how religion would, would say that there's like ultimate like finality to life and what that actually means of like soul and all kinds of other things that are maybe a little less scientific. Um, that's neither here nor there. I think the real thing that we're need to talk about is that the fact that everybody brings ingredients to cook with. Yeah. And we can make a lot better meal if we'd all just be willing to cook with everyone's ingredients. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the theme of like everything we've been talking about. Yeah. It's like, just bring all parts of yourself. Maybe <laughs> yeah. you'll have a lane, maybe you don't, but we need every part of you. Yeah. So we're not literally crockpot people, but we're metaphorically crockpot people. I love metaphors. Yeah, I, that was another thing. I feel like <laughs> I, that's why you like me. So everything's a metaphor. <laughs> but really, I feel like that's where a lot of even my creative process comes out too. Is like being able to observe something in the natural world and then lay that principle over like a different concept or a different situation, and so that the nature of that thing becomes even more solidified. Mm -hmm. And even if it's something small, it's kind of like a diamond where you kind of see like more facets of it because of that metaphorical principle that was like laid over it. People are like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or like mm -hmm. it, then it becomes not just something natural. It becomes something like beautiful and artistic. And yeah. I think people who observe that nature and find the more interconnectedness they see in the world, I think that also kind of affects your output of creativity too. Hmm. Yeah. So that's true. You know, I could come back to it a million times, but you are what you eat as the sort of general concept. You know, it's like 
your decision making, the calories you choose, the habits you do or don't have, everything that you do and well, I guess everything you do changes your DNA. It changes who you are. It changes who you will pass on to your children biologically. It'll change on like it's just it's just how it is. Like yeah. everything you do changes who you are. So it's like if you do something that you hate, you'll probably become something less than what you want to be. Yeah. If you do something that you love, you'll probably become something more of what you want to be. So you can sort of, I heard, <laughs> I heard somebody say you can, you can hack life by just starting to do the things that you want to be the person who you want to be. And therefore then everything, it's sort of like both inform each other, who you are informs what to do and what you do informs who you are. And if you can just get in on the process somewhere, you can actually become what you hope for. So like whatever you want to do, just get in on the process, but just looking at it from the outside will result in neither being or doing. Yeah. So just start, you just, just get in. Hop on the treadmill. <laughs> yeah. Get into the loop. Just look at it. And start, yeah, creating a draft for yourself of who you want to be. Um, anyway, this is all just getting very ambiguous and ethereal and, and artistic and, that's how I roll. and great, which is no surprise because that's just how we roll sometimes. True. But um, you talked about the Giraffes Can't Dance book. Yeah. And as someone who really likes, not necessarily, I mean, I guess you do like reading, but you really just enjoy authors and even children's books just for like everybody, you know, you did stuff with get diverse lit, like all kinds of different things recently. If you could give me like, give me like just a few books, like no more than four and drafts can't dance can be one of them. That would be something you would consider. You would tell people, Hey, go check this out. If you like these things. Oh gosh. The book song for a whale with my kids this year. And they really loved it. It's about uh, a girl who is deaf and she feels pretty alone. Mm-hmm. And she learns about this whale named Blue 55 who communicates at a different frequency than other whales. And she builds, she's really into like radio parts and stuff. So she builds this device that she can communicate a song to him. She yeah. learned how to speak their stuff. And she travels to him to play him the song. And mm-hmm. it's, there's just like a really beautiful story. But it really helped uh, inform us about deaf culture Mm. and the kids and I really love learning about that and um they loved animals and whales and Mm -hmm. techie stuff and it was it was a good time so what's that one called again song for a whale by Lynn Kelly and she was so nice to do like a free 20 minute virtual meet with us so my kids got to ask her questions too yeah authors authors are really cool like that yeah I think a lot of them are they're not as usually willing to unreachable as people think they are. Yeah. I mean, even internet celebrities, like people are a lot more normal than <laughs> they appear. Yeah. And she was awesome and she's got a great story. That's so. great. There's another book you have frequently told people to read, like or students to read that they've really enjoyed. Is it um, Freak the Mighty? Is yeah, that it? that's the book that I turn to whenever I have hesitant readers in my class. There's something about the book Freak the Mighty that kids, especially, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, really yeah. love. And it's this, you know, unlikely friendship between a little, like, a, a really large boy who's not, you know, 
very good in academics and he makes friends with this um boy his age who's very small his his internal organs kind of grow too fast for his body but he's like really huh. really smart uh-huh. and they together they become freak the mighty and they go on these like adventures through their town and uh-huh. it's it's kind of intense um it's definitely meant for kind of fourth grade and above yeah. um and it's not cookie cutter it's the style of writing really catches their attention it's just very engaging for them and exciting and they wanted to know what was happening and they would tell the librarian about it they told their parents about it <laughs> like they were super excited about the yeah. sequel when i bought it and it sounds like the story is just really meaningful to read yeah and like i mean one of the 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 big the larger boy's dad is in prison. He escapes from prison. So there's like kind of some themes in there that's, yeah. you know, you walk with them through, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'd rather walk with kids through stuff like that rather than just read it on their own. Yeah, no doubt. So well, they're going to find out about it. And like you said, fourth grade and up, yeah. they're pretty darn smart and they are very, very capable. Uh, I had, Somebody, I can't remember who said this, but basically they were like, a lot of people set the bar pretty low for high school students. Um, I think someone said this to me when I was doing high school ministry. Uh, but they set the bar pretty low for high school students and they can reach it so easily that they just don't even try to reach it. So if you set the bar super high for them, they're actually capable of more than what you even would think is high for them. Yeah. Because they're like high school students are very, very capable. I would say the same for younger kids. I mean, yeah. that's one thing that I've learned. One is that the students that I teach in my class are not that different from adults that I meet in real life. <laughs> really, no. Like if you can yeah. manage a classroom, you can run a company. Yeah. Like, And that's not a slam. It's just the fact that humans are the same. Humans are humans. Yes. And I see this. It's just different, different yeah. topics, same behaviors right. <laughs> a lot of oh, the time. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So, um, but, and then also if you find something that interests them, Mm -hmm. they, they will go all out. They will shock, shock you with what they're capable of. Yeah. This is like a really super extreme case of this, but Elon Musk has a school for his kids where they only learn things that they're interested and passionate about. And they become like crazy specialists on these things. And there's some of these like 12 year old kids who are just absolutely brilliant at architecture or engineering or something like that. But they like have no idea about other things. Like they're so lopsided in in their education, which I'm sure will have its own effects, but it's like, I think there's something to that. The concept he's getting at with it, you know, hopefully it's not too much test tube on people kind of thing, but, um, it, do something you love. There's a, there's a, there's literally a reason you should do stuff you love. It's not just so you're happy. Like being happy is, has almost been vilified because some people have used it as a scapegoat for going through hard stuff. But I think for most people being happy actually is something they should find ways to pursue. Um, or like not necessarily being happy, but like being passionate about what you do or like really loving something that you yeah, do and doing, doing what you love. Passionate's a good word. And that idea has yeah. made its way into public school for sure. Like we have something called like genius hour, not, mm-hmm. not necessarily at my school, but teachers are free to implement that if they want. And a lot of teachers across the country have where they have like an, an hour or so, or 
30 minutes that they devote every day for kids pick a topic or yeah. something that they want to research or build or do. And, hmm. and they work on that all year long during that time. Yeah. And so, um, probably not as intense as Elon Musk's <laughs> school, but, uh, yeah. giving kids choice. Yeah. Even if it's just like this or that, like mm-hmm. it really changes the dynamic of, yeah. of output. Yeah, it's super cool. I love that. Not that like the way we the schooling system we grew up in was like absolute garbage because it definitely was not, but it has made a lot of improvements in really surprising ways. Like the first time I ever heard about brain breaks, mm. which is probably like the most basic thing to educators now. Yeah. Like we didn't do any of that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, we got to get through this and you're going to you're going to sit and you're going to listen and recess is the time you move. Yeah. And I'm like, like, you know me now. How? Yeah. I see that. How did I do that? My students, kids were not made to sit still. Like no wonder I struggled through school my whole life and got in trouble for talking or getting out of my seat. It's like, I literally like, yeah, it doesn't work for me. I have to move. There's a lot of research in the last like 20 years that have, kind of led education to where it's at now it's still not perfect Mm -hmm. and a lot of places are severely underfunded but just the introduction of technology and just applying what we know about kids developmentally to the classroom Mm -hmm. and making those little changes Mm -hmm. makes a huge difference in the school day yeah huge yeah i think that's super helpful i don't know if you thought of another book yet or not Oh or if gosh. you have another one, <laughs> I know you have like 50, but <laughs> I'm limiting you. Uh, how about this? Rather than talking about a book now, I'll just get you to tell me about another one. But basically what I want to do is put just a few links to some of those books. If you want to check them out in the episode notes of this. And also, um, if people want to connect with you and just say, Hey, they can find you on, not on TikTok Cause you're, you're private there. Yeah. Don't come looking for me there. It's private. <laughs> I had, <laughs> it's special. Um, <laughs> I had somebody delete their Instagram the day I posted their um, <laughs> Jarrell had posted when, when his podcast episode came out. He had deleted his social media, and I was like, "How can people reach you?" And he sent me his email. I'm like, "I'm not going to tell people <laughs> to email you, dude. <laughs> it's so weird." But then he was back on socials for like like a week later. So interesting timing. But anyways, if people wanted to connect with you, or could they do that? I'm really, I mean, just Instagram. All right. Well, if you want to connect with Taylor and you can't quite seem to find her at Taylor Edwards, then go to my page, Ashton Obadiah, find a post of us and follow the tag. It's an easy way to do it. And creatives, let me leave you with this. Let me give you permission and honestly, give yourself permission to, to be more than the box that you've been living in, to be more than what you do, to be more than one thing you think, to be more than the group you're a part of to be willing to see the world a little bit more gray and and live in between. And creatives, I know that's not super practical, but for you, maybe you find a right way to apply it. And as always, I gotta say it, stay creative. See ya. 